Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. It's one week after Easter. What happened back then after Jesus revealed himself? Today, we start a brand new sermon series. First Pres Executive Director Chris Pan will explain. He'll also suggest a name change for one of the disciples. Hello, I'm Chris Pan. I'm the Executive Director of the church. I really like the nickname for Jeff McNeil, who's the second baseman for the New York Mets. His nickname is The Flying Squirrel. That is a great nickname. We're talking about nicknames because today we'll be looking at the story of Doubting Thomas, which I think is a terrible nickname. Today is one week after Easter, and we are beginning a new sermon series today. More accurately, beginning today, we will be preaching from the lectionary. What is the lectionary? The lectionary is a schedule of Bible readings that has deep roots in the Christian church all the way back to the fourth century. Multiple denominations use the lectionary, including Baptist, Episcopal, Methodist, Lutheran, and Presbyterian. It usually includes a reading from the Old Testament, a Psalm, a New Testament letter, and a passage from the gospel. We want our preaching at First Pres to always be grounded and rooted in the Bible. By following the lectionary, we'll cover the entire Bible without cherry-picking or repetition. We'll be connected to the historical church and millions of other Christians around the world. If you want to read along with us or see what's coming up, the Revised Common Lectionary is posted at lectionarypage.net. Our passage for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, 19 to 31. For us in 2021, we are exactly one week after Easter. And our passage today occurs during Easter Sunday, and also exactly one week after Easter, but 2,000 years ago. Our passage features the disciple known as Thomas, or Doubting Thomas. To set the context of our passage, it begins on Easter Sunday. Jesus has risen, Mary has just seen him, and has gone and told the disciples. It is now night on Easter Sunday. As we go through our passage today, ask yourself these two questions. What is God saying to me? And what does he want me to do about it? What is God saying to me? And what does he want me to do about it? John 20, starting at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Doubting Thomas is a nickname that has entered our everyday language. It is someone who is skeptical, someone who needs to see it for themselves. In our passage today, the disciples are gathered together on the night of Easter, and Jesus appears to them. Thomas isn't present with them, so when the disciples tell Thomas that they have seen Jesus, Thomas doesn't believe them. He doubts them. And now, 
everyone calls him Doubting Thomas. I feel like the disciple Thomas has gotten a bad rap. I feel like Thomas doesn't deserve to be the poster child for skepticism and doubt. As we see today, there is so much more to Thomas than that. At the recent HIM conference, Pastor Dan had the opportunity to interview Brian Stevenson, an incredible lawyer who has advocated for the poor and has worked to free more than 140 wrongfully convicted prisoners, including dozens from death row. Brian is the author of the book Just Mercy, which has also been made into a movie. Brian said something profound in describing his work on behalf of prisoners. He said, I believe that each person is more than the worst thing they have ever done. Each person is more than the worst thing they have ever done. Brian says, if you tell a lie, that does not mean that you are just a liar. If you take something that is not yours, that does not mean that you are just a thief. Even if you kill someone, you are not just a killer. What a fantastic word of hope. We are all more than the worst thing we've ever done. Thomas, one of Jesus' original disciples, is more than just his act of doubting. Just like the other disciples were more than their worst moment. When Jesus appears to the disciples that first Easter evening, he stands in a room with a bunch of failures. Each disciple in that room had abandoned Jesus just days earlier. They had failed Jesus when Jesus needed them the most. They were scared. They denied knowing him. They ran to save their own lives. They literally just heard from Mary that she had just seen the risen Jesus. And what were they doing now? Were they out in the streets declaring, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. The disciples were hiding behind locked doors because they were still scared that the people who executed Jesus would come for them. But Jesus comes to them and he stands in their midst. He stands in the center of them, in his body, and sees them for much more than their failure. He sees them for more than the worst thing they have ever done. He doesn't come to them and say, there you are, Peter the denier, disloyal John, cowardly Jimmy and scaredy cat Jim. Jesus comes into their midst and says to these cowardly, disloyal, betraying, save their own skin failures, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. There's no judgment, no condemnation. Jesus, full of forgiveness and grace and mercy, sees beyond their failures, sees more than their worst. Can we grasp that today, that this is the gospel, that Jesus is a God of redemption? He sees us with eyes of redemption, knowing that our past is not our future, knowing that our failures are not our destiny, seeing our value in spite of our failures. Jesus invites us to see our world with these same eyes of redemption. Can we look at the people in our world with these same eyes, with eyes like Jesus? Eyes that don't reduce someone to their worst flaw or mistake. Eyes that see more than failure or addiction or anger or illness or struggle. I've mentioned before that my family has been surfing and stand-up paddleboarding a lot during the pandemic. At the surf spot we go to, there is a certain gentleman who is an excellent surfer, but he yells a lot. Like a lot. He is very angry 
all the time, every time, at everyone else in the water. And let's pretend his name is Pete, because I don't want to use his real name and get punched in the face. Anywhere, anyway, every time we go out and he's there, we'll say, oh, there's a Shouty Pete. Make sure you stay away from Shouty Pete. We reduce him to this one unfortunate characteristic. We don't see him like Jesus sees him. We don't see his value or worth. We just reduce him to his anger, to this nickname. You know, maybe Pete's a real loyal friend who's always there to help you move your boxes. Maybe he bakes great cookies. Maybe he sings like an angel and is nice to cats. Can I see Pete the way Jesus sees Pete? In the same way, I hope Jesus sees me as more than my worst moment or characteristic. Is there someone that you have reduced and labeled in your life? Can you think of that person now? Maybe that person is yourself. Can we put aside the hurtful names that others may have called us in our lives? The nicknames or labels that may have been terrible and that we continue to carry. I know that not everyone grows up in a kind and supportive environment full of love and affirmations or have those relationships now. Jesus now stands in the midst of everyone who has ever been put down or insulted or called stupid or worthless or inadequate or a failure. Jesus stands in our midst. He sees our true worth and value and says, peace be with you. Jesus forgives. Can we forgive ourselves for our failures, for our worst moments, and know that Jesus doesn't reduce us to one moment or one mistake or one characteristic? Can we see ourselves the way Jesus sees us as valuable, worth redeeming? Can we see ourselves with the compassion and grace and mercy that Jesus sees us with? We are in need of a redeemer, in need of Jesus's eyes for the world around us and for ourselves. Jesus stands among the disciples and speaks peace and shalom upon them. And then he does something incredible. He gives these failures the most important job on earth. He trusts them with the job that he had. Jesus commissions the very people who had just failed him with a world-altering purpose. Jesus says to them in verse 21, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father has sent Jesus into the world to declare forgiveness of sins, to usher in God's new kingdom of grace and mercy, now Jesus sends this bunch of failures. He gives them his job of declaring the good news to all people. Only God can forgive, but these disciples, just days removed from abandoning Jesus, now have the task and privilege of sharing that news of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. They are sent just as Jesus was sent. And we are sent just as Jesus was sent. That is the mission of the church. Today marks a big milestone for our church. For the first time in more than a year, we are gathering again at our Koalal campus for in-person Sunday service, albeit in a limited capacity. As much as we have all longed for this day, I love that this is our Bible passage for today. Because Jesus shows up as the disciples are meeting on a Sunday. He shows up in their midst as they are gathering. But we must grasp this significant point. In that gathering of disciples, Jesus commissions them, saying, 
as the Father sent me, so I send you. Jesus doesn't say, as the Father gathered us together in a large group one day a week, so now you go gather others in a large group one day a week and only one day a week. That's not the charter for the church. Jesus says, as the, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. As great as it is to gather together, we as the church of Jesus Christ are not a gathered people. We are a sent people. We are sent like Jesus was sent to the margins, to the hurting, to the wounded and broken world to declare that peace with God and our neighbor is here now. What does it mean to you to be a person sent like Jesus was sent? This is a call not to be sent around the world. It's a call to be sent around the block. Think for a moment now about a person to whom it is very clear that God has sent you. A person, maybe a place, an organization in your everyday life. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending you. Could the disciples do this job? Can we do this job? Of course not. I just told you what these guys are like. They are hiding behind a locked door. The disciples couldn't do it on their own strength, and neither could we. That's why the next line is so important. Verse 22. When Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. On our own strength, on their own strength, we can't do it. And Jesus knows, which is why he provides the way. Receive the Holy Spirit. It is only by being empowered by the Holy Spirit can the disciples carry out their task. Only through the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit, the power and guidance of God himself, can we live as sent people. Without the Holy Spirit, the disciples scattered on Monday, Thursday in disarray and failure. With the Holy Spirit, the disciples scattered around the world with purpose and power and the good news of the gospel. They took seriously the idea that they were sent. Here's a map that shows the travels of those disciples in that room in the upcoming years. They made it to Italy, Greece, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Ethiopia, Iran, India. They died martyrs there. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. We are a sent people with the power of the Holy Spirit. See that blue line way over in India? That's Thomas. Let's get back to Thomas. So, that very first Easter, Thomas is not with the disciples, the other disciples in that room. Where is he? I have no idea. Maybe he just needs time to process his grief and loss in his own way. Maybe he's sick of Peter. Maybe without Jesus to hold them together, this band of strange misfits is already beginning to fall apart. But when Thomas returns and hears the other disciples say that they have seen Jesus, Thomas insists that he won't believe that Jesus is alive unless he can verify it himself. Verse 24 and 25. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. You know, I really 
identify with Thomas. And I actually don't think he's being unreasonable or very doughty. Really, Thomas is just asking for the same evidence that the other disciples received. Remember the context. Mary came and told the other disciples that same day that she had seen the risen Jesus. But was that eyewitness account good enough for the other disciples? No. They were still hiding behind a locked door. So, when, so Jesus shows up and does what? He shows them his wounds. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. It was only after the other disciples saw Jesus' wounds that they believed that Jesus was alive. So I give Thomas credit for being honest. He was confronted with something he didn't understand, and he didn't pretend to understand it. He said, I don't understand. He was confronted with something he didn't believe could be true, and he didn't pretend to believe it. Thomas said, I don't believe it. The poet Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, there lives more faith in honest doubt than in half the creeds. There lives more faith in honest doubt than in half the creeds. We are a church that believes in honest doubt. That's why the logo for Alpha is a question mark. Come with your honest doubts and ask your questions. I became a philosophy major in college because I was introduced to St. Anselm of Canterbury. Anselm was a philosopher, theologian, and church leader in the 11th century. Anselm insisted on the importance of reason to the life of faith. He thought that there was no conflict between the Christian faith and the findings and pursuit of reason. One of Anselm's legacy is the idea of faith-seeking understanding. Faith-seeking understanding. That our faith doesn't lead to blind acceptance. That our faith leads us to search and probe for an even deeper understanding. That faith and reason aren't opposed, but they work together. That an act of love of God leads us to seek a deeper understanding of God and our world. I think there are people who think that Christians are rubes who blindly accept fairy tales without critical thought or examination. That faith is incompatible with intellect or science or reason. Thomas, in our passage today, shows that even on the first Easter, those who believed in Jesus asked hard questions and thought carefully and critically about their faith and belief. Thomas is recorded speaking only three times in the Gospel of John. This passage is one. The others in chapter 14, when Jesus says, he's going away to the Father, and Thomas, the honest skeptic, asks for clarity, saying, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? It is in response to Thomas's question that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's faith-seeking understanding, an active love of God that asks questions and leads to a deeper understanding of God and the world. The first time Thomas is recorded speaking in the Gospel of John is chapter 11, verse 16. It provides a much more complete picture of who Thomas is. He is so much more than just the guy who doubts. In John 11, Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick, and he decides to go back to Bethany to visit him. The only problem is that Bethany is only two miles away from Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem wanted to kill Jesus. Traveling back to Bethany would put Jesus' life in danger, along with anyone who was with him. 
What was Thomas's response when Jesus says, let's go to Bethany? John eleven sixteen. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I love this and love Thomas. This is Thomas. Let us also go that we may die with him. Is this a little pessimistic? Maybe. But you know what else it is? Loyal and brave. Thomas shows an unwavering commitment to standing by Jesus' side. The other disciples are silent on what to do, whether to go with Jesus, whether to risk their lives. It's only Thomas who speaks up here and says, let's go with Jesus, even if it means we die with him. You know what this is called? Ride or die. Ride or die was a hip-hop idea from the 1990s that has been absorbed into the popular culture. Ride or die embodies this exact sentiment that Thomas expresses here. Unwavering loyalty to the end, willingness to do anything for a loved one, standing by them through it all, even in the face of danger or death, having someone's back in action, not just words. It's Bonnie and Clyde, Thelma and Louise, Thomas and Jesus, ride or die. He's not doubting Thomas, he's ride or die Thomas. Call Lin-Manuel Miranda, I've got his next project. Back to our passage, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And here we come to the culmination of this passage and of the entire Gospel of John. Exactly as Thomas requested, Jesus shows up again a week later on the second Sunday. If you've ever wondered why Christians meet on Sunday when our Jewish brothers and sisters meet on Saturday, our passage today is probably why. Two Sundays in a row, Jesus appears in a gathering of disciples. And it says, as though Jesus knows exactly what Thomas is thinking, Jesus answers Thomas with exactly what Thomas needed, showing his nail-pierced hands and his spear-pierced side. In response, Thomas declares, my Lord and my God, to Jesus. This is the first and only time in the Gospel of John that someone refers to Jesus as God. This is what the whole Gospel has been building towards, this declaration by Thomas that Jesus is God. This is an echo of the very first lines of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Thomas declares that Jesus is God. But this is so much more. Thomas doesn't say, Jesus, you are Lord and God. Thomas doesn't say, you are the Lord and the God of the universe. Thomas doesn't make a statement of knowledge or understanding. Thomas makes a statement of faith. Thomas makes a confession, profound personal faith that was born of asking hard questions. Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. He's not doubting Thomas. He is faithful Thomas, confessing Thomas, believing Thomas, my Lord and my God. Do we have a faith like Thomas's? 
that can be honest about our doubts and real with our questions and arrive when face to face with Jesus with a faith that declares, my Lord and my God. Thomas emerged from this encounter with a faith that was unshakable and with the power of the Holy Spirit, Thomas traveled to the country of India to preach the good news. There are Christians in the city of Kerala, India, who trace their faith back to the gospel that was preached to them by Thomas in AD 52. Thomas was martyred in India 20 years later in AD 72, pierced in his side with a spear. And so we come to the most amazing part of our passage today. Here's a painting by Caravaggio titled The Incredulity of St. Thomas. This may or may not be biblically accurate as our passage today doesn't mention Thomas actually touching Jesus. But what this painting captures is the incredible fact that our passage isn't about Thomas. Our passage is about Jesus. It's about the amazing fact that Jesus would appear to the disciples with his wounds and invite the disciples to touch his wounds. Jesus, being in the very nature God, conquered death. He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. But he doesn't show up like you think a God would show up. He doesn't appear floating in a cloud of glory and sunlight with angels singing. He appears in his physical body with his wounds still and invites his friends to touch him. If he had wanted, Jesus could have healed his wounds like Wolverine or Deadpool. He could have shown no lasting effects from his death and suffering on the cross. We know that his resurrected body is transformed in some way by the fact that he can enter a locked room. But instead of covering his wounds or erasing his wounds, he displays his wounds. And the disciples recognize Jesus not in spite of his wounds. The disciples recognize Jesus because of his wounds. Verse 20, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. We recognize Jesus not in spite of his wounds. We recognize Jesus because of his wounds. Jesus is our wounded healer. He is God, defined by his suffering, by his sacrifice, by his scars. A few years back at our annual elders retreat, the icebreaker question on the first night was, tell us about a physical scar or an emotional scar. There were over 30 elders and staff together, and there was not one person who said they didn't have a scar, physical or emotional. The stories that people shared that night about their wounds, their scars, I will treasure forever. Listen, Jesus, God himself, couldn't make it through life in this world without picking up some scars. We all have scars. We all are wounded. The false idols of our world scoff at scars and wrinkles and imperfection. But Jesus chooses a resurrected body that displays his wounds. He understands our wounds, our flaws. Maybe, like Jesus, our scars aren't our flaw. Our scars are our story. And our scars are our glory. The night before he was crucified, Jesus had dinner with his closest friends. And during dinner, he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Then he took wine and he poured it out and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And I'm sure the disciples had no idea what he was talking about. The next day, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. 
And that night was Friday night, the Sabbath. And so the disciples had to gather together to celebrate the Sabbath dinner. And during dinner, they must have passed around the bread and broke it and poured out the wine and remembered Jesus' words. The next day, Saturday lunch, they ate again, once again breaking the bread and drinking the wine, remembering Jesus' words. And then Jesus rises from the grave on Easter Sunday and appears to the disciple that night and a week after. And when he is in their presence, he shows them his hands with the holes where the nails went. He shows them his side where he is pierced with a spear. This is my body, broken for you, says Jesus. This is my blood poured out for you, he says. And he invites us then and now to touch his hands, touch his wounds, embrace his broken body. Jesus, whose names are the Prince of Peace, the Alpha and the Omega, the Savior of the world, the Bread of Life, Jesus, his name is also the Lamb who was slain. Do not doubt, but believe. I want to invite you to see Jesus as he really is today. See Jesus. He invites you, his friend, to ask your questions, to bring your doubts, but ultimately to touch him and believe. If you've never made a decision to believe in Jesus, to say like Thomas, not that Jesus is God, but that Jesus is my Lord and my God, I want to just pause for a moment and invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for being the way to be reconciled to God so that I may have life in your name. Today I confess that you are my Lord and my God. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer, please click the button in the chat area. We would love to get in touch with you. I would love to personally get in touch with you. And now, I'd love to end this service with a blessing. So please receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart, no matter what doubts you might have, of the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. God bless. Ahui ho. See you next week. We should be thankful that God does not see what we've done or the sins we've committed. He sees us with a loving heart, and we as his disciples need to consider ourselves and others in the same way. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Normally, we gather on Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kaka'ako, and we are now transitioning back to in-person worship. But you can still find the entire church service streamed online on the church websites fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. For the virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11.11 for First Pres, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. for The Vine. 
Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and more details on our in-person worship. If you have any questions or needs, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prayers, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.